with the Bible? Can a scientist believe in the Genesis creation account? Are there credible scientific and logical arguments for intelligent design? Most people today believe that a person cannot be serious about science and also believe in the Bible. However, is this really true? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today in our broadcast, Pat and his guests, scientists, and Evidence and Answers staff, Dr. Evan Kawamura, will discuss the evidence for intelligent design. Now with part one is our host, Pat. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, can someone be a scientist and believe in the Genesis creation account? Does the Bible conflict with scientific discovery? Or does it complement the data from science? Most in the culture believe that Christianity is anti-science. However, few realize it's the Christian worldview that gave birth to modern sciences, and it provided the fertile ground for modern science to flourish. Well, to help us see the relationship between science and biblical Christianity, we have our guest with us today, Evan Kawamura. Dr. Evan Kalmore received his PhD in mechanical engineering from the University of Hawaii. He is a NASA Ames researcher working on aerospace applications. And we're also excited because Evan is also on staff with Evidence and Answers, and he will be speaking on the issues of Christian faith and science. So you're going to be hearing a lot from Evan in days to come. So we're excited to have him on board with us. And Evan, welcome to your first show here on Evidence and Answers. Yeah, thanks for having me. Before we start, I just want to mention that my thoughts and opinions are my own and don't represent NASA or anyone else. Well, Evan, since it's your first time and many are hearing you on radio for the first time, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you grew up and how you came to faith in Christ and your interest in science and the Christian faith. I grew up in Hawaii most of my life. Born in California, I moved here when I was four, so I'm more local than mainland. I've always loved science. I've always loved learning. And I really enjoy just math, science, Legos, robotics, engineering, drones. And so when I was in elementary, I liked Legos and that evolved into robotics in high school. And then that evolved into drones in college. And so I've always liked those kind of things. You know, some students, one of the challenges they have is putting science and their Christian faith together. And a lot of us, or lots who grew up in the Christian home, often struggle when they hit their middle school science classes and did you face that struggle and how did you put it together going through high school and the university through your phd program in putting science and faith together and, and was there a conflict as you were doing your studies yeah i was really blessed to go to hanani schools and they're a christian school and so everything was tied back to the bible somehow science history not really too much math, but science and history for sure. Some of our literature books were also involved in biblical things. And so in eighth grade, I remember we took earth science and they talked about like the Big Bang and things like that. And then how it kind of makes sense also doesn't make sense with the creation account. And so having Christian teachers from a biblical perspective explain the science and how the Bible matches, I think that was really important early on. And so having that foundation helped me in future science classes all the way to grad school. Great. 
All right, Evan, we're talking about the relationship of faith and science, or Christian faith specifically, and the sciences. And we're talking today about intelligent design. And what do we mean by intelligent design? Does that imply a god or a creator? No, not specifically. All it means is there's someone or something very smart, very intelligent involved in the process of designing the universe. Now, what are some examples that we could point to of intelligent design? Yes, yeah, so one example would be like Mount Rushmore. So someone had to go up to that mountain, carve out the face of the presence that just didn't happen on its own by natural causes. Or if any of you have been to the beach, it takes a lot of effort, time and energy to create that sandcastle. So I cannot just kick up sand and it just happens to form a sandcastle. I have to intelligently design different components of that to make it. Or even like your smartphone, that's also intelligent design. Engineers created that to make it work for you. Yes. Now, are there credible scientific and logical arguments for intelligent design? Yeah, I would say so. There's this guy named Roger Penrose. And so he looked at the origin of the universe. And so he says that the universe needed an initial low entropy state. And so he predicted and calculated that the chance of that happening is 1 in 10 to the 123rd power. And that's extremely impossible. So Borel's law of probability says if there's an event that's 1 in 10 to the 50th power, that's impossible from happening. So an example could be like poker. Have you ever played poker, Pat? Yes, many times. Yeah, so the best hand in poker is a royal flush, right? You right. 10, 10, jack, queen, king, ace, all in a row in the same suit. And so in a regular game of poker, you get five cards, no exchanging, nothing fancy. The chance of you getting a royal flush is one out of 649,739, which is roughly 0.000154%. And so if you wanted to know how many royal flushes do you need to get in a row to get the same chance of having universe with that initial low entropy state, you need to draw about 20 to 21 royal flushes in a row, which is extremely unlikely. Right. And if you assume that each poker hand that you're given is independent, it's just extremely difficult to even just get two royal flushes in a row. So the odds of getting two royal flushes in a row is about one in two trillion. So that's already extremely impossible. And so if you want to get 20 royal flushes in a row, that's about 5.56 times 10 to the 117th power. And then for 21, that's 8.56 times 10 to the negative 123. So these are extremely unlikely. All right, Evan. Yeah, you talk about the odds being quite incredible. You talk about originally a low entropy state. Can you explain to us what you mean by that? Yeah, to get into not extreme detail, basically the universe needed to have a lot of conditions set just right. And if it was too big, then everything would not happen the way it is today. So life wouldn't exist, for example. Well, you know, Evan, some people will say, well, the odds of a royal flush happening are the odds are incredible, but it does happen. You know, people do get a royal flush. But if the same guy got two royal flushes in a row on first deal, we might say, wow, this guy is incredibly lucky. But if he got four in a row, then we'd start saying, wait a minute, something is rigged here. And then if he got seven in a row, we would say definitely there's something going on here. This is not natural. And so that's what you're saying here when it comes to the origin and beginning of the universe and the possibility of the universe that we have. You're saying it's like getting 
20 royal flushes, which it could happen, but the odds of that, the statistical probabilities you're saying are almost a mathematical zero, right? Right. Yeah, so the more logical conclusion would be that most of us, I think, would conclude there's an intelligence behind this when you continue to see this pattern over and over and over again. Right, exactly. Most likely the dealer is not shuffling that deck when he gives you the Royal Flush every single game. Right. Now, that's what we see in the universe around us is what you're saying. And one of the things being a scientist that gets to study the universe, you have discovered we live in a finely tuned universe or something called the Goldilocks principle. Tell us about this finely tuned universe. I mean, how finely tuned is it? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. We have some cosmic constants that are fine-tuned that supports life. So one is gravity. Exact value is about 9.81 meters per second squared or 32.2 feet per second squared. That's a really, really finely tuned number. Another one is electromagnetic force constant. There are also strong and nuclear force constants. And there's cosmological constant. And there are other important conditions or facts as well, like the initial distribution of mass energy if you look at the ratio of masses for protons and electrons from a chemistry perspective, or in physics, the velocity of light, and also the mass excess of neutron over proton. We see all these conditions on Earth that support life. There's a right geological interior, the right amount of water in the crust of the Earth. We have a large movement, the right rotation period. We have a right amount of sulfur. We have the right planetary mass of the Earth. Even water is finely tuned. If it's too big or too small, then the values for heat of diffusion or even vaporization, that would also make things unsuitable for life. So all these things, it's kind of like the Goldilocks principle of it's not too hot, it's not too cold, but just right. Yes, I have uh, read some textbook that talk about the force of gravity is at the exact strength we need it so that the universe expands at just the right rate. You know, Evan, do you know if it's just a little off, then we cannot have the universe that we have now. Do you know how fine-tuned those numbers are? I'm not sure an exact level of precision, but I do know that they are the right values to support life. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm looking at some of my notes here. Yeah, I think several have said that the expansion rate cannot differ by more than 1 over 10 to the 60th power. That's 1 over 10 with 60 zeros behind it. That's how fine-tuned the universe is. I mean, you just adjust the force of gravity just a little bit, and you cannot have the universe that we have now. And same thing what you're talking about when it comes to strong and weak nuclear force constants and the velocity of light. So, Evan, you talked about the conditions that are necessary for the Earth to support life. And you mentioned briefly water. So expand on that one a little bit. What is it that makes water so finely tuned? Yeah, so in chemistry, water has a specific heat capacity of about four. And in a gas state or a solid state, it reduces to two. And so our bodies and the world has tons of water in it. So it's able to retain a lot of heat to keep us warm. If it didn't have a high enough specific heat capacity, then we would not be as warm. And that means we would be cold and we would not be able to survive. That would be a quick, simple example. You know, Evan, how do you respond to the skeptic that says, yes, well, incredible as the odds are, it just happened. Just so happened, we got a just right universe. How do you respond to that? Well, I would say try to go to the casino and see how many times you get a royal flush. I think the odds 
of you getting tons of row flushes or even just one row flush in a row is extremely hard and extremely difficult. There has to be some level of logic, intelligence, design that creates and causes you to get a royal flush many times in a row. I think it'd be worth a shot to give intelligent design at least a peek or a glance and to look into more details. Yes, and it takes an incredible amount of faith to say, you know, the universe exploded into being and somehow through the collision of all these molecules and atoms, we've got the universe that we have today. That's an incredible amount of faith. I would say that that takes more faith than to believe that an intelligent designer put it together. You as a scientist, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Based on the math that we kind of brought down, based on those probabilities, um, it's not a perfect model, but it gives us a good idea and ballpark estimate that I don't think there's any chances here. There was no cosmic accident, so to speak. There was some level of intervention. Yes. Now we're talking intelligent design. We're talking an intelligent designer. So when we talk intelligence, we're talking some kind of personal being, aren't we? Yeah. So in Christianity, they would say God, or if you don't believe in God, maybe you would say aliens. But regardless, you would say someone or something smarter than us. Right. Now, also, one of the strongest evidence for the existence of God is the origin of the universe. Now, explain to us some of the ideas and theories about the origin of the universe. Yeah, so there are many different ideas and theories. So there's the one that I think everyone's heard about. That's the Big Bang Theory. There's a big explosion with all the mass at one point, and it'll expand it out super hot in the beginning. There's the weak anthropic principle, which kind of doesn't explain why the universe exists. There's the redshift, which Hubble discovered as the stars are getting farther away from the center of the universe. So it shows the universe is expanding. There's a steady state theory where everything will kind of slow down and nothing will stop. And the motion of the universe will stop at some point. There's the oscillation theory where there's an expansion and it reaches some amount of big length and then it'll contract and get smaller again. So it expands and then shrinks, kind of like an accordion. Right. Now, what is your assessment of these theories? Do they adequately explain the origin of the universe? Yeah. So if you look at the weak anthropic principle, it doesn't really answer the main question. So it basically says that the universe might be observed and it's limited by the fact that our observation requires existence of observers or people. So it's impossible to observe a universe that does not allow the existence of observers. So only a universe that allows existence of observers could be observed. But it's kind of like, well, I mean, you can observe a universe because it has observers. It has us inside of it. It has life. But it doesn't really explain why life exists. So it's kind of confusing and circular. It doesn't really answer the question of, well, how come the universe is finely tuned? It kind of just avoids the harder and deeper questions. It's sort of like if you were to bake a cake for someone's birthday. You can gather all the ingredients, you measure them exactly at the right proportions, you mix them all together, you throw it into the oven, you bake it. And then after it comes out, you might add frosting, other toppings, and finally you have a birthday cake and you get it ready for everybody to eat. And they enjoy it, they ask you for the recipe because they want you to know how did you make such a delicious cake? And then you would say, well, it just exists and it's delicious because you saw it, you ate it, and you knew it was good. But you didn't really answer the question of what's the recipe. So of course, your audience, the guys who ate your awesome, delicious cake, you're left disappointed and confused that they didn't get the recipe. When you did have the recipe, you could have told them. So you didn't really help them out and you didn't give them the answer. You didn't also mention like how your recipe was finely tuned to get all the right ingredients to give them that delicious birthday cake. And so now they don't know. 
So they're like, why was it so delicious? What were the ingredients? Where can I find the recipe? Because I didn't get it. And then, of course, the same thing for the universe is why is the universe finely tuned? What is the origin of life? So it doesn't really answer those questions. Uh, you mentioned another one here, the steady state theory. You know, explain that one to us in more detail than why that is not an adequate explanation for the origin of the universe. Yeah, long time ago, it was an alternative theory to the Big Bang Theory, but it's now obsolete by even the secularists. So it states that the universe is infinite. It's some amount of constant, and it doesn't have any large-scale changes over time. So it allows small-scale changes like the birth or death of a star. And it, of course, allows new galaxies to be born. And so it has to maintain some average distance between galaxies, and that's going to be constant. And so there's different regions, universe, at any point of time, and they're all kind of at this constant value or constant average density. And so there's an average density of the universe, an average distance between galaxies, an average brightness of galaxies, and then the speed that the galaxies are moving away varies at some distance. But this is not really viable anymore because of something called cosmic microwave background radiation, which is an aftermath of the Big Bang Theory. So Stephen Hawking, a very well-known physicist, he buried the steady state theory when he said the steady state theory was what Karl Popper would call a good scientific theory. It made definite predictions, which could be tested by observation and possibly falsified. Unfortunately for the theory, they were falsified. So secularist Stephen Hawking said, no, this can't be true. And so if secularists said it, then Christians can also agree with that part. Yes. And then let's take a look at the other one you said, the oscillation theory. Tell us about that one and why, you know, some of the weaknesses of the oscillation theory. Yeah. So this theory says that universe has expansion and it also has a contraction. So there's a big bang and expansion. Then at the end, it has a big crunch, a big contraction. Like the accordion, it reaches a fixed length, you let go, and then it kind of squeezes, collapses back on itself. So the Big Bang says that the universe was initially tightly dense and super hot before exploding and expanding. And the Big Crunch says the universe will have this massive collapse. But cosmic background radiation shows the universe expanding. So you need like a big freeze or a heat death instead of a Big Crunch. Everything would be like super cold. But in thermodynamics says that all the energy and the matter in the universe can't be created or destroyed. So that kind of matches the Big Freeze or heat death. So everything kind of changes energy. You get an energy conversion. Everything goes from hot to cold. And so that's okay. But then if you had this oscillation theory, you take like a rubber band or accordion, you have a big bang, it expands, you let go, and it snaps back into a condensed form, the big crunch. Well, if you keep on stretching the rubber band, it's eventually going to break. And it's not going to be able to return its original form. So even if this big crunch happened, I don't think it would be good to confirm the theory. And we would definitely not be around. Yeah, I think... From what I read, most scientists think there's not enough mass, I believe, to pull the universe back together. It's, like you said, kind of a firecracker. It's just going to expand and just kind of die a slow heat death or freeze. Also, there's not enough energy for it to continually contract and go back, contract and go back. Uh, right. Is that what you're saying here with this oscillation theory? Yeah, that is exactly what theory is talking about. You have these oscillations or kind of like a wave at the beach. You're at the beach and the waves come onto the shore, they go back and come onto shore, go back and just repeats this process. But there's not enough energy for that to happen, nor the mass, as you mentioned, correct? Now, what about the Big Bang Theory then? You know, the Big Bang Theory is one of the most popular ones out there. And it's one I don't think Christians should really be afraid of. 
because basically it's telling you that the universe has a beginning. If the universe has a beginning, then it must have a cause, the law of causality. And you've got to identify that cause. And that cause has to be greater than the universe. So actually, I really don't think that's a theory that Christians need to be afraid of because it tells us the universe is not eternal. As you know, scientists for several centuries thought, it actually has a beginning. And so now if the universe does have a beginning, you've got to identify that cause. And I think the God of Genesis 1-1 is a very, you know, one of the best candidates for the origin of the universe. Would you agree? We can agree that the universe has a beginning based on the Big Bang Theory. But ultimately in the creation account in Genesis, everything in Genesis is cold in the beginning or not even burning hot. Where the Big Bang implies the opposite. Things are really hot, super high pressure, to super high temperature, and there's a big expansion. So that part we don't agree on. But the idea that the origin had to be there, there was a beginning that we can agree on for sure. Have uh, you stated none of these theories maybe adequately explain the origin of the universe? How would you explain the origin of the universe? Yeah, so if we're looking at the biblical principles and creation, it says that God created everything in six days and rested on the seventh. So you can read this in Genesis 1, tells you all every single day he creates something, and then he rests, and the next day he creates something else, and then in chapter two, he summarizes what happened. All right. So Evan, what are the connotations or follow-up questions if intelligent design is real or accurate? Yeah, I think one is like, can we interact or communicate with the intelligent designer? So there is a movie called Prometheus. I think it came out in 2012 or something. And so they wanted to find the origin of life or the creator of men. So that movie, the aliens would be the intelligent designer. I think another question would be, how many intelligent designers are there? doesn't mean there's just one. There could be more than one. We don't know. What kind of technology do they have access to that we don't have access to? I think we have the internet. We have smartphones. We have nuclear power. These are all great. But in like Star Trek, there's the first contact movie where they had warp speed. So maybe intelligent designers have something like that, something that we do not. I think the last question is, you know, what's more feasible to believe in? that God or aliens created the universe? Yeah, I'm going to say that, you know, the law of cause and effect. Every cause has an effect. Every effect has a cause. And no effect is greater than its cause. So whatever created the universe is greater than the universe. Whatever created time is greater than time. Whatever created the universe is incredibly powerful and incredibly intelligent. So I'm going to say that God is a much more reasonable answer than to have created the universe than some kind of alien. And I'm going to say, when you look at the literature throughout the scientific world, and I think if you look at the literature in the other religions, you know, such as Hinduism and others, I think Genesis 1-1, the God of Genesis 1-1, is your best candidate here. Yep, absolutely. Well, now, Evan, the more scientific research we are doing, in my opinion, I think the evidence for intelligent design continues to mount because we're learning just how fine-tuned the universe around us is from our solar system to the forces in the universe to even microbiology. When you study the complexity of the nucleus of a cell, the nucleus of a cell is more complex than the city of Los Angeles. It seems like the more and more as we gather more and more scientific data, we're learning just how fine-tuned 
the universe around us is. And it seems to me the evidence for intelligent design continues to mount because as you stated at the beginning of the show, the odds, you know, the statistical odds of something like the human eye even, or the human ear just coming together by chance, or, you know, the planets, it it just, the odds seem to continue to grow and grow and grow to the point where it's almost a mathematical impossibility. I mean, it's getting ridiculous, these statistical odds. Is that what you're seeing in your research there as you study the universe? Yeah, absolutely. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you like what you heard and would like Pat to speak at your church or Bible study or even schedule an apologetics conference at your location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Evidence and Answers.